Well, we did it. We did our very first live audience show at Gateway Cup at Urban Chestnut Brewing Company in the heart of the Grove, one of the cooler neighborhoods within all of St. Louis, easy riding distance to all four races that are a part of the Gateway Cup series, Lafayette Park, Francis Park, Benton Park, and the Hill. So there's a lot of parks in St. Louis, didn't know if you knew any of that. In fact, the one Central Park, Forest Park, designed by the same person who designed Central Park in, in New York City. Obviously, Olmsted, huge fan of his, designing great parks since the beginning of time. We had a great, cozy little environment at Urban Chestnut. I had a wonderful sour. I think Will had one of their darker beers, like a stout or a porter. And if I don't remember correctly, she'll correct me, I'm sure. But I believe Melanie had the Pilsner. We had great food. We had great camaraderie. We had a great show. And here we are to present it to you. A few weeks later, a few days later, a few hours later, I'm not really sure. It's all been a blur since Gateway Cup. Four days of incredible bike racing in a wonderful city that is St. Louis. Always welcoming, always inviting, always at the top of my list of events to go back to the next year. So there's a lot that we can talk about. There's a lot that we will talk about in this show. But why should I spend any more time waiting before we get into it, why should I spend any more time dilly-dallying or trying to run up the clock before we just get into it? Who am I? I'm Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is your source for the full bevy, I'll say it again, bevy of shows that we have available here on the network. We've got Cyclocross and Mountain Bike Radio, hashtag Cross is Coming, with Cyclocross Radio. We've got the wonderful world of gravel, which with Amanda Nauman will undoubtedly soon be covering gravel nationals and all that spirals out of that. We've got Nowhere Fast. Yes, it is now the crit racing off season or just about to start the off season. So we'll be jumping back on Zwift or RGT or wherever it is that you do your indoor miles. Tune into Zach and company and find out all about what's going on in their world of riding indoor bikes on trainers, doing cool stuff like that. And then we've got Tim, Matt, little guy, that is obviously Matt just twice, and Spencer, the boys from the Slow Ride podcast, keeping it together, keeping it fun, keeping it light, and keeping you modestly informed about all the happenings in bike racing across the spectrum. Go to WideAnglePodium.com. Please become a subscriber and supporter of this network, this content creator-owned effort that we have here. We will certainly 1,100% appreciate it. It's what keeps the lights on. It's what keeps us going forward because... There are fees for all of this. There are costs for all of this. And if you can throw us a few dollars here or there, it will keep things moving forward. We really appreciate it. So it is a live show, which means that there's background noise, there's ambiance. It's not as smoothly produced as any of the other shows might have been. And things may sound just a little bit different. But it doesn't mean that we're not still having the same great amount of fun. It actually means we're probably having more fun because the audience kept it live and energetic. So here we are, live with Melanie Wong from ButcherBox and Will Harden from Project Echelon. And we're doing that right now. The first time I came to St. Louis was in 2001. I was a college student at the University of Kansas, and my team and I rolled in here, and uh, I was a Cat 4, maybe a Cat 5, I can't remember. I got blown off the back every single race. No good reason, no compunction or anything, but I kept coming back year on and year out because for some odd reason I loved St. Louis, even though I'm from Chicago. And even though I don't understand what St. Louis pizza is, this whole Provel cheese thing, Sam, you've got it right there. It's good stuff. Uh, but I keep coming back because this is a great race series and it's a series that's all about celebration and the end of the year and 
fun, cool stuff. And I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to have Melanie Wong from ButcherBox and Will Harden here from Project Echelon to talk about what they're excited about in this race, what they're excited about, about being in St. Louis. And then most importantly, just kind of how the year has gone because it's almost September. It's August 31 now. We're done after this. There's a couple of more races like Bucks County and uh, New Haven Grand Prix, but by and large, this is the end of it. So I want to turn it over to Will since you're the closest person sitting next to me. Um, you know, all the way from the mean streets of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. How are you enjoying your first ever trip to St. Louis for bike racing? Um, I've had an excellent tour guide, so that has made it a hundred times better. Oftentimes you're just kind of wandering aimlessly around whatever city you're in and you'll find some of the worst parts and like a few glimmering hopes. But this time I've had a nice, yeah, a nice tour. We went to the arch yesterday, which was cool and have gotten some really good food in town. So St. Louis has impressed me so far. We'll see how the racing goes. <laughs> you are vegan. Indeed. Notably. Uh, I once ordered you a vegan pizza, which was bread and tomato sauce. Sounds right. Yeah. Just missing one component. Uh, yeah. Just the most tasty, yummy part, <laughs> the cheese. But um, St. Louis has a large variety of really great options for people who are vegetarian and vegan. Never would have guessed it. What's yeah. been your favorite so far? Uh, I had some delicious mushrooms last night at the restaurant and Brussels sprouts at the restaurant, which is one of my one of my staples. So those have been great. It was yellow belly up the street. Um, and it was, yeah, it was gourmet. So I'm going to go with those. Live in the high life in Forest Park, which is where you guys are staying. It's where the richest of the rich people in St. Louis happen to reside. So the party after... The Hill will be at Will Harden's host house. Yep. And I didn't know, I don't know if you know <laughs> this, but where you were by the arch is a site of a Revolutionary War battle. Oh, well, I'm glad I didn't know it then. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been more sad, but knowing that now, it's cool. Yeah, one of the furthest West battles in the entire Revolutionary War. Learned it because I was bored and working in town and walking down the street. Really good stuff. Melanie, save us, please. Tell us something interesting all the way from San Francisco. How was the flight? Flight was long. Uh, you know, there's, I find it very odd. You, you assume that being from the San Francisco Bay Area, that there should be a direct flight to everywhere. Turns out that is not the case, unfortunately. And for some reason, there was not a direct flight here. But that being said, I do love St. Louis. It has such a, a amazing character. I've, I've raced this race, gosh, probably four or five times at this point. Um, and for me, it's, it's not only a really fun way to end the season, uh, see my teammates, um, as you're saying, get some great local food, Brussels sprouts. I don't know, but St. Louis barbecue barbecue is where it is at my friends when you come to St. Louis. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it's a great way, as you said, to, to kind of round out the season and get the opportunity to not only be with your teammates and have some fun and actually kind of soak up all that energy and store it for the big training season ahead. Yeah, because right now the weather's beautiful. The temperatures are absolutely perfect compared to last weekend. If anybody was in, in Indy, they were just probably still sweltering. And from this point on out, it's the best time of the year to actually just ride like the fall at least in dc i don't know if that's true in north carolina or in san francisco the fall is always my favorite time because you don't have to do any intervals there's nothing really hard there's no good plans all you got to do is go to the coffee shop and then ride to the next coffee shop then ride to the third coffee shop and then back home but in san francisco and in california i've come to learn that there's winery stops that are being thrown in there are occasionally breweries that are getting tossed into your rides. This is a little strange to me. Do you, do you experience this? First of all, why do you find that strange? I don't know. Tradition. <laughs> Tradition is coffee and bikes, beer afterwards, never in the middle. 
Well, okay. Well, we'll have to say it this way that you also have to preface that a lot of the wineries. So I live very close to Napa, for instance, Sonoma area. So a lot of the the best roads to ride, to be brutally honest, in the Bay Area are literally in between all of the wineries. So like, yeah, you need a water bottle stop. Got it. Oh, looks like there's some wine here. Uh, So it's kind of, I think, a very Californian sort of natural fit to the coffee stop. Uh, Do I stop and drink beer in the middle of my rides? depends on the ride. Uh, I might, you know, make it 20 minutes home afterwards if I just got to roll myself there. Uh, But yeah, it's, you know, I I would say that we do the coffee shop stop ride just as we do the wine ride as well. Um, And, you know, we're really lucky in California that we can do it year round. Yeah, not jealous at all. I've definitely sent uh, some pictures to the California, the SoCal riders, especially saying, no, this is what winter actually looks like. And it's my bike covered in salt and snow and dirt. Um, They don't seem to find the humor in that. I don't know why. But Mel, you are in a unique position compared to all of us right now sitting in this room because you're the boss of your team. For this weekend, you are the team's director. You're not racing right now because you you're injured. You know, coming into this as the team director, before we get into the nitty gritty of telling Jillian how to do her job, do you have any FOMO right now, fear of missing out on on the the racing part of it? Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. And I would say that the FOMO is why I am here. <laughs> you know, I, I think that being injured um, for, you know, the latter half of this season um, and, you know, my role is really as a helper for my team and being as be- a great a domestique as I can and not being there to be at the races and, you know, just getting to watching on TV. I, I, I will say like, I will, I do scream at the television. I am that person that jumps up in the middle of the living room. I'm like, go now, now. Um, but, you know, the reason when the team kind of asked me to say like, hey, you know, would you be interested in stepping into this role for the, the last two races of the season? Um, I, I absolutely said yes because of the FOMO, because I just needed to soak in that energy. I needed to have my teammates around me. And I think that more than anything, that gave me so much comfort and so much more strength to heal better. Um, and to be more motivated coming out of all of this injury to actually become a better writer and to, you know, also make a greater contribution to the team. So, I mean, I feel incredibly lucky that my teammates trust me um, and are willing to put some faith in me to actually, you know, let me take on this role. So what's the plan for the team? How are you going to guide them to victory this weekend over four days? Well, I want to preface that by saying, first of all, I'm not the boss. <laughs> uh, Mike Seguero, Butcher Box, he is the boss. Uh, Dino is definitely the boss here. Um, but, you know, I feel that what I sort of bring to the conversation here is, um, you know, I know the riders really well. And especially the women's riders, you know, I have ridden with them. Nobody knows your teammates better than your teammates, right? And so you know not only physically what they're capable of, but mentally what they're capable of and how they like to race. Uh, so I think that I bring that to kind of the, the conversation. And so really being able to lead those conversations with, you know, guidance and input and also getting input from the riders as well, I think is really sort of the center point of all of it, knowing the team, knowing the riders, knowing them mentally and knowing them physically. What does victory actually look like? It's very simple to say winner victory. But in bike racing, there's a lot of losers by that definition. And a team can't say all the time, if we're not the top step on the podium, we've lost, because that's just not a positive or constructive mentality. So let's say that winning is obviously perfect definition of victory. What else falls into the category of victory for you and for the women in ButcherBox? You know, to me, it really feels like victory is, it's progress, right? 
I think coming and bringing this group together in particular this year, you know, we have quite a few new writers. We really had to learn very quickly how to work together. And so for me, what I try to look for in every race is an evolution, the slight turn from the tadpole into maybe the tadpole with a leg or two (laughs) Um, that really... Uh, we have a foundation then that we can build upon. And you know what I, I think is so interesting about St. Louis coming at the end of the season is that for many teams, actually, this is the race where it all starts to click. And you realize, oh my gosh, it took us the entire season, but here we are. And we can finally do it and we can do the plan and we can say, hey, we're going to go for this sprinter. We're going to go for this premium. We actually make it happen. And so I think that's the magic of St. Louis. I think to me, that is what, progress and what victory for us really looks like. And again, that's really building on that momentum to bring us all into next year with a greater motivation, regardless of whatever team, whatever program we end up doing. So, Will, you have an unsexy job in bike racing. You're not the Sam Morris who's going to finish first on top of the podium, sprinter, magnanimous, beautiful photographs at the finishing line. Your job is to set Sam, set Ethan, set all of those guys up by being the diesel engine, the guy who rides the hardest for the longest and just grinds out those miles. And I know that's a position that you relish and that that's a position that a lot of us in bike racing who don't have the the flash and don't have that, you know, fast twitch muscle. How do you get motivated to be in the position where you're like, okay, next hour, it's going to hurt? Yeah. Uh, usually it doesn't hurt too bad for me. Luckily, um, these races are actually somewhat easier than like a hundred mile road race would be, um, until, uh, you know, a minute or two from the end and then you realize it does hurt. But, we, we often are motivated by defending one another and my job often being like the sweeper or pushing the train up next to whatever train is currently leading or, you know, driving the train. Yeah, our, our job is to defend our guys. And once you get back into the swarm, it gets very hectic and dangerous. And you are actually like risking life and limb in order to get them out of that. Uh, and kind of save energy when possible. You have had tremendous success this year behind guys like Tyler Stites and Ethan Crane and Sam and Cade Bickmore, people whose success has been built off of Zach Gregg, Stephen Vogel, you, Matt Zimmer, these people who don't often find their names on the top of the charts, but who are the pivotal cog in the machine that is the team, how do you explain to future teams, future marketing opportunities that, yes, I don't finish first, but the guy who I am riding for does, therefore you should hire me and maybe not somebody else? Yeah. The people who are hiring in cycling often understand that and they can tell who's having a presence and an impact on the race. It's weird to have to explain how working together as a team in a team sport makes your team better, which I don't think football players have to explain often or any other team sport, but with the nature of one person winning, we do. And I think getting our guys to that top step or near it is a good indication of how our team is gelling and working together and reflective on my performance most of the time. And yeah, just our, our team cohesion really. How do you square being super intelligent? Like you are, you're getting your master's degree. That's no small feat, obviously, uh, especially in a world where only what, like quarter of the people have bachelor's degrees. So like, Congrats on that. But you're incredibly intelligent, incredibly motivated, and in a sport where sometimes overthinking can be the difference between a win and 15th place. How does how does overthinking affect? How do you keep yourself from overthinking? Right, right. Well, usually the people who are winning races and are succeeding in races are also pretty intelligent, um, which I yeah, shouldn't need much explaining, but they're, 
instincts are kind of what drive them uh, to, to have that success. And building that instinct can take a lot of experience. So we're, yeah, we're gaining experience on our team and I'm gaining experience personally, just having started racing at this level two or three years ago. So getting into those different situations and learning what happens when you do something is it's really the way to avoid the overthinking because you're not thinking you're just reacting in a way that is i guess yeah you're you're reacting yeah. and this, it's frustrating to me as an athlete and exciting for me as a spectator of the sport to watch somebody like you come into the sport and immediately blow up just like become really great because there's people who slog away forever and never quite get there mel when did you start in this sport well, Will, <laughs> uh, Jillian, <laughs> um, I started in this sport kind of in a very odd way, um, but I, I have been I have been riding bikes for 10, 10 years, racing for about eight of them. So I've definitely been around the block at this point. <laughs> and how do you grow from? I'm the woman who's riding a bike to I'm the woman who's racing a bike to I'm the woman who solos off the front at Harlem in 2021, a feat that is considered by many to be almost impossible, you being the exception to the rule that it is actually possible at Harlem to solo off the front. I mean, I think that, and as I said before, sort of with the women's team overall, for me, it's a constant step of evolving and making progress, right? And it doesn't happen overnight. Well, okay, maybe if you're well, it happens overnight. <laughs> um, but for me, you know, I had a pretty, uh, to be like pretty average, right? And, and even now, you know, I'm also do domestic and work primarily for my team. Um, you know, every year was just a constant sort of um, taking feedback, trying new things, trying new things again, and then finding other ways to optimize my performance uh, year over year. So every year in my training season, I try to find something new, something different to focus on because, you know, training can actually be pretty boring. And so, you know, every year I try to find a different technique. Maybe this year we're going to focus on nutrition. Maybe next year we're going to focus on motor pacing. Uh, so I try to find and challenge myself into doing these new things uh, so that I can actually grow. And then, you know, and also as well, you know, grow strategically as well, constantly rewatching races, getting feedback from people in the races, getting feedback from, let's be honest, people who are way smarter than me <laughs> um, and can help break down things for me, watching a lot of bike racing. All of these things sort of culminate together and I think kind of push you towards a role like this, where you can actually step from being a bike racer um, into a management role, or, you know, in the case of Harlem, have the courage to just go for it. So before we do a hard pivot away from talking about you guys to talking about Gateway, I want to spend a minute talking about Melanie and what you do off the bike, because I find it fascinating. Your professional career, you're an employee at LinkedIn, correct? You have to say yes, otherwise the, the recording doesn't get it. Yes. Good. <laughs> See, this is this is the lawyer in me. When a witness goes and nods their head, I get to say, sir, is that a yes, ma'am? Is that a yes? And they look at me and they're like, oh, God, this is going to be a long day, isn't it? But at LinkedIn, you, what do you do for them? Because I, I can't really explain by looking just at your LinkedIn profile. Good. <laughs> uh, no, you know, so I'm a program manager for LinkedIn and you can kind of think of it like a project manager on steroids. And, and to be real, you know, it's very hard to describe exactly what I, I've, I've tried to describe to my mother what I do many times. She has no idea. Um, so really what I do and what I really specialize in is organizing teams of people and bringing them together to quickly achieve a goal. Right. And so when I look at that and I connect that to bike racing, it's a pretty obvious fit. And, and, you know, I love both. And 
I think that LinkedIn is probably one of the most underappreciated sporting social media websites out there or, or tools out there because obviously you know what Facebook can do. You know what Instagram can do. You know the hellscape that is Twitter and what it can do. And then you look at TikTok and whatnot. But like LinkedIn is can be both professional in the sense of I want to be a better X, Y, and Z. And then also I want to be a more connected bike racer. How would you advise somebody to use that tool to broaden their reach, to broaden their marketability, to make them look better to a project echelon or to a legion, to a UCI team who's going to sign contracts and potentially pay you money? I think that's a really interesting question. And I think there's a couple of things that, that kind of come to mind. First of all, I truly believe that in order to be a successful cyclist, you kind of have to be multidisciplined and multi-talented, right? Um, most cyclists, you know, retire and go on to having a different career as well. And so I think that, that teams look for riders who can fill multiple roles, who are comfortable, even if they are, you know, contracted, obviously, primarily to ride their bike, who can lead a team who are going to get the best out of the people around them, right? And those are the types of skills that I think also cross over into our professional world. So when I think about, say, LinkedIn, the LinkedIn profile, you know, what would I actually do um, to my profile to become more attractive to these things? I would certainly list skills that are maybe not all cycling focused, certainly, um, communication skills, um, problem-solving th skills, critical thinking skills. All of these things are actually really important in cycling. And if you want to have not just be a good bike rider, but be a professional cyclist with a great career, you need to be able to do all these things. And certainly communications, social media, all of those things are really important and storytelling as well. So kind of weaving these into your LinkedIn profile, I think is a great way of showing that as well as obviously content is king sharing some of your content on there as well. Um, and you would be amazed the the types of posts that I can put out there that are cycling focused. And, and my coworkers are so stoked about it. They love it. People that I don't even know are like, wow, you're on this cycling team. That's amazing. And you're doing this as well. And so really, I think the most important thing is to be yourself, right? And to put yourself out there. Um, and you know, I, I think that that can be incredibly attractive. Now, what about going the other direction? So you're you're advising Will here, and he's getting ready to enter the the big kid world of molecular biology. He's going to be an engineer or a PhD or something, and he's trying to get a job. Would you say, Will, put on there that you were a part of a UCI cycling team? hundred percent, absolutely. Why? Um, you know, I think that there are there's the myth of I'm not going to put my sport or my passion or whatever on my LinkedIn profile um, is kind of predicated on two things. First of all, there's this big worry that they're only gonna hire me because I'm a cyclist, right? Okay, well, first of all, we should all be so lucky. <laughs> um, but second of all, I think you need to give companies a lot more credit than that. You know, they know onboarding is expensive. They know severance is expensive. They're not gonna hire somebody if they don't think that you can do a good job. What does cycling show, however? Cycling shows that you are very good at working through challenges and you're never gonna give up. The second thing that I think that people get really stuck on is they're worried like, oh man, if I put cycling on my profile, they're gonna think I spent all my time cycling and that I'm never gonna work. <laughs> um, and you know, to be brutally honest, I think nowadays companies know that they actually can't keep people with that mentality right? They are, there is an expectation from millennials and particularly like the upcoming generation that you bring your whole self to work, that you bring your passions, your about social, you know, social issues, diversity, et cetera. You bring all of that to work. And if companies support you, you are going to be a better employee and you are going to be there longer and be more invested in the success of the company. And so, um, you know, overall, that's why I think it's really great for you to have these things on your profile. Now, don't put all your races, Will. Don't put like, don't put, don't list out every single race. But certainly having it on there is a great thing. And it's a great conversation starter. You know, when I go into an interview and I see that somebody was, oh, you know, you're into paragliding or something on your resume. 
Because the first thing I'm going to ask you when I walk in the room is, what are you doing about paragliding? And it actually really helps warm up the conversation, makes the the interview fun, makes the interview interesting, and also makes you really memorable. So let's talk St. Louis. Let's talk Gateway Cup, because that's what we're here for, right? We've all traveled far and wide to come and race our bikes over four days in in the Gateway City that is St. Louis. Will, this is your first time doing the series Four days, four different challenging races. Which one are you the most looking forward to? Uh, I've only ever seen the last one that is televised, correct? Is that the televised one? The one that's televised is the third one. That's the hill. The third one that is televised. When uh, Danny won it last year, is that also correct? God, I don't recall. I was in a lot of pain at that time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that that one. Yeah, Danny did win it last year. Exciting. Yeah, he won it in in a fashion that, yeah, excites me and looks fun. So I would say that course actually excites me the most. What about you, Mel? Which course do you think that the women on ButcherBox are going to have the best luck at? I'm probably going to say either day two or day four, most likely. Day two feels like a very good course for us. Um, you know, it's, it's got a potential for a breakaway, which is something that we always love. Um, it's a little bit wider open, which also gives us more time to actually set up for the sprint properly, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for that one. I think it's going to be good. The, so the last time I raced this year was at Intelligentsia. Intelligentsia is categorically different from Gateway Cup. The feel, the vibe, the city, everything is totally different. Intelli are short very narrow, challenging technical races. These ones here are power courses. Who's the power rider? Is it is it Paige? Is it Jillian? Is it, you know, who's the person that you're going to be gunning for? I mean, I think that we have multiple opportunities and that's what makes this team really awesome, right? So absolutely, we do have some really wonderful breakaway riders like Paige can do a great breakaway ride um, or help lead out uh, Rachel for some of our sprints or preems. Um, We know that Caitlin Agnew is sitting pretty high up in the overall uh, standings for the crit series as well. And so we really want to, I mean, I don't want to say we want to have our cake and eat it too, (laughs) but but realistically, you know, we want to look for those opportunities and then try to take as many of them as we can. Will, do you ever take a day off in a race series? Like if you go into a race and you're like, you know what, this doesn't suit us. This is just not the course for us. Would you guys ever just be like, okay, we'll ride, see what happens, happens. Or is it always motivated plan goal? Um, I think that we're in a similar situation with a lot of opportunities on our team to where pretty much any type of race can suit us. We just have to race to our skill set and take advantage of all the opportunities we do have with all the skills we do have. So no, we don't take a day off. We race hard every day. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys have had close to 50 race days this year. If you, if you count UCI races, Guadalupe, the races that you did in Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at this point in time in the year, does it wear you out? I'm actually really excited about racing more, seeing the new, Legion CRIT series, and then I'm, I'm doing a full cross season too. So after this, the next week is gravel nationals and then cyclocross. So I, I just like racing so I can, I can race every weekend if they let me. What's your costume going to be for cyclocross this year? Cause last year you came as a bunny rabbit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to actually find my costume, but our theme in Winston is going to be Shrek. So could be a little three little pigs situation or donkey. Who knows? Who knows? Puss in Boots, Puss in boots seems to be the crowd favorite right fantastic. now. I don't know exactly how you pulled it off. Yes, I do. It'll be great. I'm very much looking forward to it. When do you think, Mel, that you're going to be in a position where you can get back to racing? Or is that just too soon because of the injury? I am definitely going to target next season. Most likely. Um, it just kind of the way everything shakes out this year, it just doesn't make sense for me to actually rehab and then, you know, try to get back for what, what would effectively be one race. Uh, so yeah, next season for sure. Very excited for that. How have you kept positive? Because for a lot of us, this is a huge part of our identity. And when you get that taken away from you, you, you struggle. 
I mean, when swimming was effectively taken away from me when I was in college, I tried to become a decathlete. It was a terrible idea. I'm a horrible runner, and the idea of pole vaulting is stupid. So, you know, <laughs> how do you keep that identity that is uniquely Melanie when you don't have that huge component of it that is the bike racing part? Well, I worked a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> worked a lot, did a lot of projects. You know, for me, I was so lucky because, again, I think that the folks on Butcher Box as well as my teammates were very clear with me that, hey, Melanie, regardless of what happens, we still want you to be a part of this team. And no matter what, you are a part of this team. And they made that very clear to me from day one when I was lying in the hospital bed. Uh, and that really meant so much to me. And so I've had, you know, they've followed up with me um, throughout the whole process. And obviously I've been following them in a non-stalkerish fashion. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that that really helped kind of keep my spirits up. Do you... That type of commitment from a team is unusual. In bike racing, especially in American bike racing, it's one-year contracts, one and done. You know, you're it, only the best of the best keep coming back. When you see a team like ButcherBox with people like Steven Ramirez and Dino Piscopanis and Ted Horowitz, you know, Steven Jett, you know, those individuals supporting you right there at the lowest point physically for you. How does that make you feel? I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. As I said before, you know, one of the strengths of being in this program, again, huge thank you to Mike Socorro for, you know, continuing forward with the butcher box um, sponsorship is that you, you can develop this legacy. You can develop this family and I can tell you from day one that I stepped into this team, I was like, wow, you know, I feel like I'm home. And so I think that that, you know, it, it makes me feel like I've made some great decisions. And, you know, it, again, makes me feel really, really grateful that I can continue to be here and to help support the team as I am now. And Will, for you, looking at 2024 beyond... You know, I know that it's contract negotiation season, you know, and you don't necessarily know where you're going, what you're doing, or, and things are a little confusing for most bike riders. What do you want to do in this sport when you leave Benton Park on, on, on Monday and getting tacos is not the, the appropriate answer here? Yeah, the the advantage of racing so often is that I get to have a narrow focus on, you know, the next weekend and the cross season and that kind of thing. As far as intentions for the rest of my cycling career, it is really jumping on every opportunity that presents itself, which is a pretty common theme in all the cycling for me. So that's the tactic. So we've got some people here who've got some questions for you. We're going to open up the floor to some questions from the studio audience. I think one of our, our local celebrities, uh, uh, Emma, is uh, going to ask some questions. I just wanted to wonder what's the longest race you've ever done? I'll go first. 150 miles on gravel. Yeah, it was as That's painful as it sounds. And I had to eat a lot and I was still hungry. So <laughs> how long did that take you? Seven and a half hours. It was pretty flat. Okay. And yeah, like I said, I, I ate a lot of gummies the last hour. I could only find gummies in the car, had to like rummage through my vehicle. And that was the last piece of food I had. And I was out of water, but finished it. Nonetheless, I went back this year the second time and I got fifth but still was also hungry at the end. <laughs> what about you, Melanie? Wow, I don't know if I can go after that. <laughs> uh, I think the longest I've ever done is 120 miles, um, and then I've done the death ride as well. So what pretty fun. What's, yeah, what's a death ride? <laughs> uh, it's a, a really big sort of century-plus uh, ride outside of Markleyville, California, and it's about... I think it's 11,000 feet of climbing. Wow. Who is in your head the loudest when you need the most grit? Go ahead, 
it's got to be that own own little demon inside your head, right? It's uh, no one in particular other than yourself telling you to stop, and then yourself also telling you not to stop. Right? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I would say probably my partner, uh, Stephen. He is my biggest fan for sure. Um, and so when I'm in my head and I'm in a lot of pain, I can hear him just say, yelling at me, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Uh, so yeah. I, I have a follow-up question is who's the worst person that's in your head <laughs> and what do they say? Go ahead, we, we've had, we've had Will start, so you should get going here. My mother <laughs> saying that cycling is just a hobby. Uh, I'd say Paul Rudd for me when he was on Hot Ones. He was like, look at us. You know, you know the scene? It's that scene that happens all the time. You you should look it up. Look up Hot Ones, Paul Rudd. Um, first we feast. It's it's going to be stuck in your head now, too. Not sorry. <laughs> Who else has a question? Sam? Yes, Sam. <laughs> All right, what is crit beef? For you, Will, what is crit beef? Uh, as the resident vegan here, I, I'm going to pass. <laughs> That's not an option. Dang it. <laughs> to, to a layman, please describe crit beef. Crit beef is, is an ever-evolving topic that involves beef and crits, which, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of in crits because we can have more muscle on us. But, no, the, the beef in reference is actually uh, between whatever teams are creating drama, which we also have tons of in crits due to the, due to the corners and uh, the short race duration. So that's, that's what crit beef is to me, a vegan. I mean, there's, there's crit beef in, in women's racing too. I know it initiated oh. in the men's, but I think women have kind of perfected it. Digging yourself a hole there, dude. Yeah, I really should edit that part out. You know, I like to think of it as like we're frenemies. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Who else has a question? Jillian, you've got something. Yes. Who is uh, your most charismatic teammate and why? Oh, I like this one. Melanie, who's your most charismatic teammate? Oh my God, I have so many of <laughs> them. Um, I mean, gosh, Jillian. I don't I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Uh I I even though I do love you, I I do feel like it is a tie between you and Paige. And then what ties double out the tie is when that when you are both together. And then and then combined you are the most charismatic teammate. Who's the most charismatic person on Butcher, on Butcher Box, on Project Echelon? Good. Uh, man, that's a great question. Uh, I, can I get a definition on charisma here? What do you, it, it is your choice of the word charisma. The, charisma. Person, the person most likely to attract an audience attract an audience rob kelly is the definition of charisma at the moment yes yeah yeah uh whew, an audience well eric hill has a he's got a skill for it in in his marketing and all his spiels as far as people actually racing this year on the team um man great question sam's bubbly over there look at him look at that guy he's got some charisma i'm gonna go with sam okay so one of your teammates <laughs> from last year, Brandon Fury, a.k.a. Monk. That's who jumped into mine immediately, but yeah. sadly. Have you ever been able to walk away from Monk when he's holding a beer in his hand without having a beer yourself? No. It's impossible. It's impossible. He sucks you in. You have one drink, then two drinks, then three drinks. And the next thing you do, and you're playing presidents. And you don't realize that it's 3 a.m. and you've got to get in the car the next morning. But you wouldn't want to walk away. That's never the good did. part. <laughs> what is it worth it? Is it beneficial? That actually is a better word to have teammates like Monk. 
to have teammates like Sam that have this charisma as opposed to just rote professionals. Yes. Yes. We pride ourselves on the team of having that team culture and it's been built really well. We've got uh, guys like John and Peter and Matt who all have, yeah, just they're, they're critical in our team culture and they're, they're turning into, into fathers now. And it's kind of, seeping into the team culture where they're kind of the team dads now too, um, which is excellent. And they'll be here later this week to kind of enforce that. That's, that's why it was such a hard question for me is our, yeah, our team culture is in such a way that with, without certain people, it would, without most of us, it would be just a different, different culture. Do you feel like we have people within the bike racing and the crit racing community who exemplify charisma in, in a positive light that we could sell beyond the narrow confines of track stand memes and mid-pack memes and crit drama and crit beef. You know, are there athletes within our community that you could say like, that guy or that woman will light up a bar? Can will? I, can I jump in? I, Absolutely. I think with the recent documentaries, the Formula One Drive to Survive and kind of the kickback they're getting where it seems fabricated to the drivers. They, they claim that it's yeah fabricated drama. I think criterium racing has enough drama that we wouldn't really need to fabricate any of it. Really. It's, it's ridiculous enough. And many characters on many teams are ridiculous and dramatic enough and have enough of that charisma and drama to yeah make it, make it a very watchable sport due to the characters. <laughs> I can think of Chris Tolley, Chris Tolley, Chris Tolley, and then Chris Tolley some more as somebody who would be excellent for the, the bike racing, you know, drive to survive. Melanie, do you think that we've got some professionals out there in the crit racing world who, who carry themselves in a way that, that would draw in non-endemic fans just by virtue of their charisma, that quality that they exude? I mean, I think every single one of us has it in us to give that quality off, right? Again, athletes are kind of this very special character where um, you have to work so hard. You have to be so disciplined. Um, And at the same time, you really have to be personable. You really have to be open to other people. And you have to be open to new ideas and to trying new things as well. And so it does feel like you know, throughout the Peloton, I think there's a lot of role models, certainly. I also think that there is a lot of people who are doing really wonderful and interesting things that are not just bike racing, but bike racing and beyond. And so when I think about fans, you know, that are trying to understand the sport and to get in the sport, there are so many good stories to tell, not just drama, but actual stories to tell, inspiring stories, actually, you know, from people who've overcome tremendous amounts of adversity to be where they are today. Um, And I think that those are the type of people that we should be asking ourselves as a sport to take the sport forward and be looking to saying, hey, let's highlight some of these stories that are told in a way for everyone to be able to understand and enjoy. Going back to Emma's question, for you guys about the longest race that you've raced, what's the best distance for racing for you? Like, where is that sweet spot where you excel? And, you know, like for me, it's not 200 meters. I know that's a fact. And it's definitely not 150 miles. It's somewhere in in the middle for me. But Melanie, what's your sweet spot? I seem to be very... the. I will be honest and say the only races I've won have always been in long range breaks. <laughs> so that seems to be my special brand of, um, you know, how I like to rate that being said, you know, I would say if it's probably any more than 60 minutes, <laughs> I'm kind of bored. Um, but, um, you know, yeah, I would say for me, it's probably a long range, longer range break in the 40, 50 minute hour time range. What about you, Will? I prefer uh, more selective races, and that usually lends its hand to longer races, so 90 minutes and above. So I would I would go with over 90 minutes or under 200 meters because we did some street sprints in Winston, and I can I'm good under 200 meters, getting you know the first few pedals, and then after that it's hopeless. It's so you're a quarter horse. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> let's go with that. Maybe I just 
picked a better gear. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, you stumped me there, Will. You, you totally <laughs> made my mind go completely blank. Do we have any more questions? I don't know, because you're the person holding the microphone. You've got to have one question. <laughs> yeah, our young guest did have all the questions. So um, here, let's, let's finish it out this way. We're here in St. Louis. We're here for this bike race. One of the things that St. Louis is famous for is Ted Drew's. It's a, it's a good, top-quality ice cream place. They've got a thing I called it. I know I'm asking the vegan, but it's going to make sense. I promise you. They've got a thing called the concrete. It's similar to a blizzard, only much better. Um, I want you to build a, we can do a vegan concrete. We can do a non-vegan concrete. But I want you to pick toppings that are indicative of your ideal race situation. So your ideal race outcome. So you pick the chocolate chips, the sprinkles, cherry, Heath Bar, whatever it happens to be that you're going to put onto this Ted Drews to describe the ideal race for you here in St. Louis. I think they can both have chocolate, uh, regardless of whether it's a race course or not. But okay. are, are we talking about uh, the actual race situation? Is yeah. That, and then I'm supposed to top it and fill it with all the concrete fixes. Yes. Okay. Can do. I think... Yeah, some, some challenging racing. A lot of attacking would be ideal for me. I do love a, an exciting race, and I think these courses can lend them, themselves to being very exciting for the duration of the 70 minutes we have to race. So a, a lot of attacking and uh, hopefully not too much bumping and barging at the end, but enough, a healthy amount. What do you think is a, a good topping for attacking? A good topping for attacking peanut butter okay and that's what i got peanut butter that's what i got the stickiest one of them all it is it is okay because the break can stick you never yeah, know it could stick i hope it does that would be nice melanie what do you think all right so we're gonna start with a banana on the bottom because we all need the carbs right uh, the ice cream goes on that, and then we're going to put some, some chocolate on there because we need a slow drizzle. I like my race to kind of start out a little bit slow, be able to kind of work your way into it, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll sprinkle some Pop Rocks in there because uh, that's when the uh, the attacks start happening, attacks start going out, right? Um, then we might put a little caramel in there, be like, oh, good, the break got away. <laughs> uh, and then we will end off uh, with some sprinkles, get a little crunchy gets a little crunchy at the end but but that's okay we don't mind crunchiness is part of it uh and then we'll put a little cherry on top because that's how we win it she well, nailed that i nailed it i, I can't i'm i'm actually really hungry right now well guys thank you so much for being on the show and thank you everybody who's here for sticking it out to the end Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com. Find out everything that we got there. Special thanks to everybody at Urban Chestnut, everybody at Gateway, everybody everywhere in St. Louis for being such wonderful hosts to us bike racers. And also to Will Harden and Melanie Wong for joining in the fun. We will be back next week because there is so much to talk about in what's happened lately here, here, in our Criterium Nation. <laughs>